0: this is isaka's page two podcast
1: thank you everyone for joining us today Uh, my name is jake michaels video production coordinator at isaka we're going to be doing something a little bit different this time around but before we get to that let me introduce our guest for today joining me to talk about her recently released isaka journal article IS Audit in Practice, Resilience and Regulation, Finding Common Ground for Sustainability is Director of What's the Risk, Cindy Baxter. Cindy, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Jake, it's such a pleasure to be here. And I'm so glad that you're out front for our production today.
1: I know. Usually I'm on the back end, you know, telling you how we're going to be doing this, but I get to be up front today. Uh, how are you doing? How is uh, your week going so far?
0: It's going really well, and I hope yours is too. It's, uh, it's been a beautiful week here in the Boston area, and I look forward to doing something a little bit different that will focus a case study on uh, what's going on in the Boston area. So yeah, it's been a good week.
1: Awesome. That sounds great. It's been a little rainy here in the Chicago area, but it was really hot last week. So I'm kind of glad that the temperatures are are even out a little bit uh, here in May. But you know, I was told that you actually have a special guest that you're going to be interviewing today. So why don't you introduce him for us?
0: absolutely yeah and thank you this is a change up so i'm really pleased to um offer, um an opportunity for people to do something other than just listen to me we've got an expert on board frank o'brien from the east boston climate coalition has been kind enough to join me today so that i can play interviewer but most importantly frank can give us some really great ideas on how we can get involved on the ground in what's happening, really hot stuff in the environmental climate resiliency and environmental justice space, because there's lots to do for the IS auditor and risk professional. And who better to tell us than somebody who's been working in the community with the government. And of course, Frank can let us know more about what he's been doing, Jake, I'm thrilled to have Frank on board for our interview today.
1: Awesome. Well, Frank, it's it's lovely to have you. How are you doing today? Quite well, and thanks for inviting me. Look forward to the conversation. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You know, I'm going to step back and get out of your guys's hair so that you can have a great conversation, and I'll be back on uh, in a little bit.
0: Sounds good, Jake. Thanks for starting us off.
1: Thanks, Jake. Not a problem.
0: So Frank, it is such a pleasure to have you here on the ISACA podcast. As you know, ISACA is an organization that reaches 150,000 plus members. And the podcast is an opportunity for us to really get into some of what an auditor or risk professional can do practically. There's so much to learn and our industry is always changing, but I always find it exciting to figure out how do we apply this? What do we do to make a difference in our communities, with our employers and the government that serves us? And what better way, in my view, than to look at a professional like you who's been working with East Boston, heading up really the East Boston Climate Coalition to show us what's going on. And and I thought, Frank, maybe a good way to start us off would be to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what the East Boston Climate Coalition is, is all about so that we can give them a sound bite as a foundation.
2: Yeah, thanks, Cindy. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. This is something that, as you and I have discussed in our work sessions of how we can sort of address questions around sea level rise, climate change, and how that affects everyone who's involved, whether it's a a property owner or a community member, government agencies, there's a lot of people at the table making an effort to understand the current situation and what we can do about it. Briefly about myself, born and grew up in Boston, although spent some time both in Chicago and on the West Coast working in the private sector and sort of see the world through both the lens of people running businesses, people who have to make decisions often imperfectly informed. And then from the community and government agency side, how the, the regulatory framework, the climate change projections, how all these things sort of fit together on a case by case basis to um, address the really serious and important question of of risk arising from, from climate change.
0: Yeah, that's really so important. And nowadays I think I think people tend to look at climate change and resiliency and everybody agrees that something's got to be done. But I know when I was researching my article, I found it just overwhelming. And I think one of the things that I've noticed about the East Boston Coalition, and especially about you, Frank, is that ability to synthesize and kind of get down to what the core information is that people need to understand. And of course, you know, there's so many different views on what needs to happen. I know you mentioned your background um, in the private sector, and a lot of us work in the private sector. I know the work that you do working um, with the local government and. Yeah. And global government is all over the place because it's linked to state government and then to federal government when you're talking climate and resiliency. And of course, as our audience knows, regulation is a big deal. So, with all those things that I've just mentioned, and as I say, I feel such a big benefit from the East Boston Climate Coalition to help me understand what's going on. What do you find are the biggest challenges you face as the leader of this coalition? What really puts the focus for you in doing what has to happen next?
2: Well, that's such an interesting question. This is a multi-part problem or challenge, right? And so there's the specific issues that are around local organizing or local sort of convening, right? Get Just getting people together to, talk about a situation, however it's defined, right? So for example, after Katrina or after Superstorm Sandy, which are, which are sort of very much in the national consciousness, the solutions identified were somewhat different. You know, like down in Katrina, they had to figure out what the levee system was gonna be and how they could replenish the the, the marshes surrounding New Orleans, what they were gonna do with sections of New Orleans that were severely affected in Superstorm Sandy, for example, which is more similar to Boston, mm-hmm. which is where we're super familiar with, you know, it's an East Coast, North Atlantic, metropolitan area that's at risk from rising sea level and, and extreme weather. Mayor Bloomberg at the time went into a very intense, very specific, very site-specific mapping process to see sort of where the where the risk area, the geographical risk areas are, mm-hmm. right? And so if the, the previous Analytical regime was by FEMA, you know, the the, the National Emergency Agency, which relied on like a hundred-year model, and in in a, in an area of changing variables, looking back a hundred years kind of isn't what what was useful. It's it's looking ahead. So, in terms of like what we're doing in East Boston, and that you've been so actively involved in, and brings such important perspective to the group is the what what is the particular local jurisdiction doing about mapping risk. That's kind of like the baseline condition, right? So we in our East Boston working group have been focused first on that, just kind of what's the baseline of data that we need to understand. So it's it's kind of like the shared information level. What's interesting about Boston is they've done a fairly good job, I would say, of technically analyzing where the flood risks and the sea level rise risks are. You know, we don't have earthquakes here, for example. There's not like an earthquake, which is a Southern California thing for sure. There's not much risk for fire in the same way like we've seen out West. But the real risk is indeed from rising sea levels and extreme weather. And once we have the baseline information, then the question is sort of what what one does about it. And the answer to that is different, whether, whether you're an insurer or a property owner or prospective real estate group um, or a resident. And just to, just to take a very simple case, and the and we're familiar with this with these Boston because we've made an effort to include everybody, right? Including just regular old homeowners. It's like, oh my gosh, my house is in a flood risk zone. Should I move? Does it affect my property value? I can't afford to build a seawall for, you know, so there's, there's, we, we take up all those questions. And I'll, I'll stop there, but the main thing that we start with is where's the risk? Is it quantified? Is it short term, medium term, long term? And then we get into questions of options of addressing risk reduction. Mm-hmm. And uh, happy to talk more about that if it's useful.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head that's near and dear to those in the risk management and audit community. Um, I, I think that one of the, areas that we're always concerned about is how do you not only accurately measure risk and and get hold of the right data, it's how do you build an awareness so that when you set something up, whether it's a set of controls that we're all familiar with. So I might write a set of controls that looks like regulations and say, okay, I understand the data that's presented to me. I think I understand what the risks are based on what the community feels is important. I think, Frank, you did a great job of identifying the differences between, say, Katrina versus what we might experience here in Boston what might versus what might be happening in Hyderabad. All of them are different circumstances, and everybody understands risk differently. So, so keeping on that risk theme that you've just mentioned, Frank, how do you suggest or recommend, especially for our audience who's always trying to make sure people understand risk properly, Yeah. how do you suggest making sure that we're connecting with the community or, or with the implementers, whether they be our employers or the government? What, what makes it successful to communicate Relevant risk, so that
2: people do something. Sure. Well, that's that's a really interesting topic. Um, yeah. So, I'll just throw out a couple of ideas, and we can take this conversation wherever you think it's most useful. So, let's assume the you know the audiences and and your professional colleagues are in the business of understanding risk. You know, and sort of some risk is very well quantifiable, right? There's, there's tables and probabilities, right, and those can be pretty well tracked, and I think those people do understand that, you know, everyday people do understand that. Hey, I better get car insurance. You know, there's a chance I would get in an accident. In an emerging field like climate change, it's very different because oftentimes it's like a future risk that people discount. You know, they that we don't say, "Oh my gosh, it's definitely going to happen to me," right? And sometimes it takes a, a really catastrophic event to go, "Oh, wait a second, wow, we got to we got to deal with this." And I think it's fair to say that government agencies ha- have stepped up to it in their own way you know democracy is slow it's a, it's a little bit clunky but thank goodness we still have it the the communication piece which is what your question was is like once professional people have data and information translating it into terms that everyday you know conversation people understand that's important you know and what the city has done and what we've seen in our working group is just, it's like a map, right? It's literally, here, here's your house, here's your business, here's your, the, the soccer field where the kids play, here's the school. And you see that blue, that's the ocean, <laughs> you know? So that, that's effective, simple visual graphics and everyday language, That's that's really a must in terms of communicating. Where it gets harder, more difficult is in what do you do about it you know communicating the risk is one thing but oftentimes the solutions are either not agreed upon or they're expensive or there's emerging technology and so communicating the options particularly when people hear oh the government is going to tell me what to do yeah so that's there's a lot of pieces it's a, it's a very fascinating interesting question
0: you know you hit on a topic that i think is really really interesting and maybe we can elaborate a little bit and that is um risk versus economics versus you know the third part is it at my door right so from an uh, from a risk perspective we always think about all right is there going to be a financial impact so making people aware of hey it's a lot riskier to have your house disappear than to pay for say a seawall if if they're going to charge you taxes for it yeah where then there's the, you know, I certainly imagine, especially at this wonderful time of year in the spring, where Boston hopes for many, many tourists to come and enjoy the city, that the last thing they need is to have the reputation, where the reputational risk of the ocean meets <laughs> the middle of the city. That doesn't yeah, It's, not a, right it's not a
2: good look when that happens.
0: <laughs> Nobody's gonna come back. And then, of course, you know the regulatory risk, which I think is is one of those things that, as I wrote my article, I was concerned about. Not more concerned in terms of being um, more concerned about than the other risk, because I think financial financials make the world go round. If it's economically feasible, I think that helps. But I'm interested in your opinion. But it concerns me that regulation doesn't seem to be as effective, or it's poorly understood, or somehow there's not enforcement. And perhaps, you know, the risk professional community can work on this all across the board. Maybe we have a role everywhere. Maybe it's an enforcement where we do an audit, or maybe it's in assessing the risk, or maybe it's in, in communicating. But I must admit, Frank, that just as you said, it's how to get it done. Once you understand it, once you trust your data, reasonably trust your data, then how do you take this morass of regulation? How did you get people from understanding the risk to accepting doing something without flooding the city or having some catastrophe? How do you or the East Boston Coalition manage to build that execution, I guess?
2: Yeah. So... Let me focus on a couple of points and then maybe open up the discussion a little bit more. So in terms of East Boston, for those people not familiar, East Boston where Logan Airport is. If you fly into Boston, you're in East Boston and encourage people to take the time to walk around or go to restaurants there. It's a lovely community. It's an immigrant community, but with also real estate development, particularly along the waterfront. And the reason we focus on East Boston is a couple of things. One is it has critical infrastructure. You know, it has places like the airport and the tunnels the ted williams tunnel and the other tunnels that take folks into boston it also has uh, tank farms and much of the of the heating oil supply and the and, and other industrial products bulk products come in by the waterfront and it's also a lot of it is filled land right so it's it's at, it's it's significantly at risk just from from homes and businesses and schools so we, partly our focus is just on a geographic area and it's easy to easier to kind of get your head around when you when you delimit the the scope of the work the the mapping is in place the geographic area is defined where the city is the boston is is sort of at the moment is sort of okay well now that we know what do we do about it and my sense is and, and i'm not totally close to this in part because it's it's a private business process where real estate owners and developers make their own assessments but i imagine that they're assessing the risk of their particular properties, and if they have underwriters who're saying, you know, we 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 have certain criteria here, and you, you're you're building no more than a person would build on a proven earthquake fault line, building within a high risk for 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 climate change area is going to have to be reflected in what, whatever insurance. I'm just using insurance as one example that that's applicable. So in in some sense. There's kind of private market individual decisions that accumulate into changing, let's just say insurance rates. And I know that's a very simple model. And in some ways those can affect decision-making. And I don't know whether consensus exists within the underwriting community of, about those kind of things, but certainly consensus exists within the residents. And this is maybe sort of where we're, where we're at with our East Boston group that you're a part of. We know something has to be done, we're trying to encourage the parties to get together and work on it and bring realistic solutions to the table, understanding that some of them are going to be really different, potentially costly, how do you share the costs, mm-hmm. those kind of questions.
0: That's really interesting. And of course, um, as we think about our current state, you raised a good point that What can we bear as cost? What do others who are involved, who are the key stakeholders, whether they're the developers, the city, the businesses, what do they perceive as being important? Um, All of that really plays in. And I'm thinking that, you know, at least for where we are, and I know this isn't the case for our audience, but I do like that thought of carpe ldm sees the opportunity we do um, at this point have economic health i'll put it that way in the commonwealth of massachusetts so a lot is possible what do you see as a way to take our current economic status being a positive one for climate change and creating that palatable set of options. I I think you said something very important. You have to get creative. How do you do that? Or, and again, I'm thinking our audience too. How can we get the um, risk managers and the auditors taking part? What kind of creativity should our viewers think about today?
2: Well, I'm, I'm, tempted to start by asking you to tell us more about your article so we can be informed by by your own perspective on this because you're probably more of an expert in these areas certainly than I am having said, <laughs> <laughs> having said that you know the public process it's a little bit like watching kids play soccer you know they all like kind of they all kind of run around you know it's it's not always very organized but hopefully at the end of it something useful comes out the world of, of business and, and risk assessment and kind of the discussions that go on around project financing, sometimes those could be brought out more into the public either by a seminar or by a conference or by a booklet, or you know a lot is done online, like this podcast is a, is a really effective tool. So just sort of these communication tools, like you were saying before, translating technical information into stuff that's usable, I suspect the auditing and and your and your colleague community has a lot of really good information and perspective that's not kind of out there as a headline like the headline is oh my god sea level rise so yeah just sort of engaging with the public um, where the public is that would be really valuable
0: all right that's a really great perspective and I think um, I, I I think I couldn't agree more one thing I must say is when I left a large corporate environment to really start out on my own i think it gave me a good perspective on first of all how much information is out there but also how much there is to do you're right frank i think even from a risk perspective and an audit perspective as i think over different work i've done it's so easy to look at a scope of activity and it's very time bound into what I might be doing to meet a corporate goal. But when you get into the opportunity of doing what you're passionate about, there are all kinds of ways to participate. And, you know, I I like to also think of not only building that awareness, I think, you you hit the nail on the head. I do certainly like communication because I feel that a groundswell of activity is important. And I think auditors and risk managers help people understand information versus misinformation or disinformation. So I think that's an important role. But I also am thinking lately of and, and a lot of it is because of the discussions we've been having with the coalition. A lot of it I've been thinking of hmm, what about those monitoring controls? What about legislation that might be in place, right? And I did talk about that to your point about my article. I did talk about, you know, the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act back in the 70s. And now we've got umpteen different kinds of legislation in progress here in the Commonwealth and everything overlays it. So if we've got stuff that's been in place really for decades, my thought, and i'm I'm bouncing this off you for your opinion. My thought was, build that awareness, get that clarity so people understand information reality, but then potentially look at a scope and say, "Hey, I can watch that. I can monitor that. I can see if what's already in place instead of creating new regulation or suggesting, yet another bill that we know takes quite a bit of time, I can go find something as perhaps an auditor or a risk manager, or even what, you know, we call first line of defense. So you're part of the team, but you're trying to head things off ahead of time, you know? So how do we take what we've got and run with it?
2: Definitely your research, your work experience has been so valuable to us. You know coming when i say us i mean other resident groups organizations perhaps um, without the technical background so that's really engaging in the way that you have right has been has been has been really useful i also think that you know we know that so much of work gets done in teams you know whether it's teams within organizations or cross-organization groups often very project focused whether it's a real estate development or a piece of, of legislation that's pending or a trying to get a new client, for example, oftentimes that's a feature. Having carved out an area of expertise and being really on top of the data and the, the state of, of regulation is so valuable in those work teams. And so kind of knowing how to, 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 to be a resource within the group is, is super useful. You've been really valuable to us, and in the way that you've been valuable to us, I imagine your colleagues can be valuable within their work teams.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. I hadn't really thought of that, but everything is very team-focused, and it is a matter of, of recognizing what you can bring to the forefront. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. So Frank, we're just about coming to time. I wanted to before I um, you know, before we close out between you and me and, and bring Jake back in, is there any message or, you know, that final sound bite that you'd like to encourage people to consider when it comes to um, climate resiliency and what they can do, whether it's in their professional or volunteer time or any anything else you might offer?
2: Yeah, thank you. So we're living on this one planet you know it's 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 sustained life for many many years and with it's undergoing changes because of the activity of human activity and we have a shared responsibility each in our own way to help sustain it in a healthy way what we've found in east boston is that it's very effective to work locally within the context of the global issues and I'm grateful for the opportunity to to share a little bit about that, and um, I encourage people to read Cindy's article because she, Cindy's been great for us in our work. So thank you.
0: Yeah, Frank, thank you so much. And and again, I think to your point, the East Boston Climate Coalition is an example um, of of great community members coming together, and the expertise is 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 daunting and awesome. And as as a leader, um, I was very impressed and I'm so thrilled that you were willing to come to this podcast with me.
1: I'm happy to do it. Guys, that was such an awesome conversation. You know, I'm sitting on the back just like having my headphones totally tuned in and listening. So I'm pretty sure our listeners will be completely engaged as well. And I just want to thank you two again, uh, because I know you could probably talk about this stuff for a lot longer. uh, But that's all the time that we have left for today. So Cindy, Frank, thank you again for taking the time to talk about this really important topic and bringing uh, some new content to the ISACA audience.
0: Thank you, Jake. And thanks to ISACA for allowing us this forum.
1: Yeah, thank you. Awesome. And if you are interested in reading Cindy's full Isaka journal article, please click on the link in the description below. Uh, my name is Jake Nicholas, and thank you for joining in.
0: Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Page to Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode.